Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue his Thursday-Friday message series this month on the tabernacle. Tom will begin today's study by speaking about the holy place and the high priest. Here's Tom Cantor. And in particular, the garments of the high priest. And they are described with two overall characteristics. That's given to us in Exodus 28.2, where it says, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. There they are. The two words, glory and beauty. Why were the high priest garments described as being glorious and beautiful? Because those garments, they drew attention to the one that the high priest represented. Those garments that the high priest wore, they magnified the Lord Jesus Christ, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he called them garments of glory and beauty. That's why Moses was told by God, these garments are going to be garments of glory and of beauty. And so we get drawn in and we ask the question, what glory, what beauty? What starts off? The first one here is a garment which is called a fine twined white, and it was an innermost garment. It was a fine twined linen that was an innermost garment. So first, against his body was this innermost garment. This was one woven garment. There were no seams. In this garment, it was all made of that beautiful, fine-twined, white, Egyptian cotton linen that we know about today. It was Egyptian cotton linen. And this innermost garment of this fine-twined white linen, it spoke of the beauty of what? Of the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. What purity? When he was here on earth. During his earthly life, He was absolutely clean. He was pure. Here was a life that stood out in stark contrast to any other life before. No human being ever before him or after him ever lived this sinless life. This was absolute sinlessness, beautiful purity. His human life was perfect Even though he rubbed shoulders with sinners, the sin did not rub off on him. That's described for us in Hebrews 7, 26, where we read this. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He was so perfect. He was so sinless that the end, at the end of his three-year ministry, when he was on public display for the whole three years, he turned to his enemies. Those were his enemies who had dogged his tracks during all three years. Those were the enemies who looked for any possible opportunity to say, aha, We found fault. There it is in him. And there came this one eventful day when he turned to them and he said, in essence, he said, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. In essence, he said, for three years you've dogged my trails. Now it's your turn. Tell now. Give the report. 
what have you found against me? He called on his enemies at this point to report their findings after three years of stalking him in search of anything that they could accuse him of. This is found in John 8, 46, when he turns to these enemies and he says to them, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? See, when he said that, we can imagine his eyes passing from one stalker to the other stalker, and we can imagine him as he's doing this and looking at each one and saying, which of you, which of you, which of you, which of you, which of you can, t- can stand up now and say, you did this wrong. This was not right. And there was no one who could. Why? Because underlying everything in his life was a pure, sinless nature, symbolized by that white linen garment on the high priest. So when his enemies had finished scrutinizing his life, they emerged, his enemies, with the same verdict that Pilate did when he said of him in Luke 23, 4, here's what it says, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. He had no reason to say that. Pilate had no reason to say that. Pilate was the Roman ruler in that area, and he absolutely didn't have to kowtow to anyone. But he was speaking honestly, he was speaking truthfully when he said, I find no fault in this man. This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life. The perfection of his his earthly life, it actually was so prominent that it really became a problem in his trial. Because at his trial, they had already prejudged him and they had already pre-sentenced him to death. They knew that whatever the trial is, it doesn't matter because we've got to come to the sentence of death. The only problem is they couldn't find a reason to sentence him to death. They couldn't find a reason to support a predetermined judgment. And eventually, they were able to condemn him to death for something that was actually the truth. But because they had already made up their minds that that could not be true, and they were not willing to consider this one truth, that he was God. And so... When he said at his trial, in essence, that he was God, they said, that's it, and they condemned to death. But the innermost white garment was so important on the priest because it symbolized this inner purity of his person. It just spoke out. The inner garment spoke out. And it said, the Lord Jesus Christ alone was qualified to be the ultimate Passover lamb, without blemish, to take away our sins. This innermost garment spoke of the underlying purity of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, all the other garments, when you looked at them, they spoke of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his work. This white garment was unique because it spoke about his nature, his person, which was pure. There was one unique day of the year. One unique day. It was an amazing day. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on this day, the high priest stripped down. 
to just wearing this innermost garment of the fine twine linen. And on that Yom Kippur day of the year, stripped down to just his white innermost garment, the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies. And he was only wearing that innermost garment of the white linen. Here was a day when the high priest was seen as he was not seen on any other day of the year. Here he was stripped down to just the white inner garment. And that time when the high priest stripped down to just the white inner garment, such a, such a remarkable time of the year, it speaks of the time when the Lord Jesus Christ, as God, came to earth as a common man. That was the time when God became a common man, when God stripped down to a common man. That's when God made himself of no reputation. He had a reputation. He was God. He was the Almighty. He was the Creator. But he said, set it all aside. Take all the titles off the wall behind me. Strip of the wall bare. I will strip myself of the reputation of being God. And that's when he stripped himself like that. And then it says that was the time when he humbled himself. He humbled himself to obey God the Father. He did that to obey God the Father. And here's the words, all the way. All the way to death. Not just any death but all the way to the death of the cross. This is all said in Philippians 2, 6-8. Here's how it reads. Who, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, stripped down, and took upon him, just like I would take this coat, he took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, that process of making himself of no reputation. That process of taking on him the form of a servant, that process of humbling himself to go all the way to death, and not just any death, but all the way to the death of the cross. See, that process was all symbolized on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur when the high priest stripped down to just this this white linen garment. And as the high priest stood there, he symbolized, you know, we always time talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the time when the high priest symbolized the lamb, Jesus Christ. The lamb, Jesus Christ, without blemish. That's the same one that John the Baptist announced in John one twenty nine when he said, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It's those words. He said, lamb, lamb, not just any lamb, lamb of God. What's he going to do? Take away. Take away what? Sin. Whose sin? 
the world. See, all that was symbolized when the high priest stripped down to just the inner white garment. Then over the linen garment that the high priest wore was a robe of the ephod. This was also one woven piece of material with an opening at the top for it to be slipped on. And the robe was blue. Blue. Blue speaks to us of heaven. Blue speaks to us of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blue tells us the Lord Jesus Christ was God or is God. And looking at the, at the robe of the ephod was a constant reminder. It was a constant reminder that this Lamb of God is God. There's a constant reminder that the Lord Jesus Christ is God himself. Just like it says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says also in John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Timothy 3.16 tells it this way, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I'm going to stop for a minute. What's the mystery of godliness? He explains. God was manifest in the flesh. See? Without controversy, great the mystery of godliness. This is a great, great mystery called godliness. What is this mystery? God was manifest in the flesh. Now, attached to the bottom of the robe were bells and and pomegranates, and they were made of pure gold, so that as he walked, he could be heard. And once a year, like we mentioned on this, this Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, as the high priest walked, He could be heard from the outside. And when he entered through that veil, that thick veil, he could be heard. And when the veil closed him from sight and he was in the Holy of Holies, he could be heard. He could be heard as he went in there holding what he needed to have, the blood of the sacrificial goat to make the atonement to make the atonement, first for himself, for his own sins, and then for the sins of the Jewish people. And tradition says that the people listened intently for what they could not see. They listened to the bells because the bells spoke. He's still alive. He's still alive. The sacrifice has not been rejected yet, We still hear the bells. The bells tell us that the sacrifice has not been rejected. And when he went into the Holy of Holies there, and he was out of sight, and he offered the blood there on the ark, and the people waited outside, will will his sins be forgiven? Because he's our representative to get our sins forgiven. Will our sins be forgiven? They asked. And as they heard the bells, they heard the bells, they realized, Okay, so far. And then, as he was on his way out, and they heard the bells, they knew the sacrifice had been accepted. And then it says that tradition tells us there was a shout that went out from the camp 
Because they knew, because the bells had told them the sacrifice has been accepted by God. But tradition also tells us that the high priest had around his ankle, and God didn't tell the people, God didn't tell Moses to do this, and God didn't tell the people to do this, but they did it. Tradition tells us that they tied around the ankle of the high priest a rope. Why? Because this was a very solemn time, and the bells at the, at the base there played a very, very solemn role. But if they no longer heard the bells, and if he had been struck dead, either because the sacrifice was not accepted for his own sins, or the sacrifice was not accepted for the Jewish people, if that was the case, and he was dead, there because he wasn't accepted. There was nobody that was going to go into the Holy of Holies and get that dead carcass out of there. So they tied a rope around his ankle and the end of the rope was out in the holy place so that just in case it wasn't accepted, they could pull his dead carcass out from the Holy of Holies. It shows how solemn this time was during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now over the blue robe was an ephod, a garment, which had attached to it a breastplate over the heart, and two shoulder pieces. This ephod garment was made of gold and blue and purple and scarlet threads that were intertwined into its fine linen base. And attached to this ephod, it was this breastplate, and it had the breastplate had on it 12 stones that were sewn in place on the breastplate. And on each of the 12 stones were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then on the top of the ephod, on the shoulders, there was uh, two stones, two onyx stones. And they resting on the shoulders were also sewed into the ephod. And on one onyx stone was engraven the six names of the tribes of Israel, and the other shoulder piece had the other six names of the tribes of Israel. So together between the two shoulders were the 12 tribes of Israel, the name of the 12 tribes of Israel that were engraven. Now, the breast is the place of the heart. It speaks of love. It speaks of affection. We know that. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 stones there on the breastplate over the heart of the high priest, it speaks to us. It speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks to us of his heart. It speaks to us, it speaks to us of how he carries the names of his own, of his followers on his heart, on his heart of love. This is the love that's spoken of in Romans 8, 38 through 39, where it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love that will not let us go, That was symbolized by the high priest wearing the names of the tribes of Israel on his breastplate, over his heart. He put it this way about this love, this this, this tenacious love that God has. The Lord Jesus Christ said it like this in John 10, 27 through 28. 
My sheep. What a wonderful term. My sheep. How many wonderful times there were in the Old Testament where God said, My people. Here he says, My sheep. In other places in the Old Testament, he also spoke about his sheep, his people are like sheep. But here he says, My people. Sorry. Here he says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. See the relationship? He says, they are his. They hear his voice. He knows them. Now, why do they follow him? Because they know him. And he says, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's tenacious love. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See? That's what is spoken about by the breastplate that's on the high priest. That love that he's referring to here for his sheep that he knows and they know him and his sheep that he loves and he gives to them eternal life and he says they will never perish. I died for them. They will never perish. I've got them and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Now the shoulders are where the shepherds carried wayward sheep back to the fold. Isaiah taught us something about wayward sheep, and he made it pretty personal in Isaiah 53, 6, when he said, all we are like sheep. All we like sheep. We like sheep. Color us sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Color us sheep. Color us sheep going astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way this way that way this way that way whatever feels right whatever is whatever whatever you want to do that's your way you go that way and he said god says that's my sheep god says that's my sheep he says my people are sheep well and 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 they've all gone astray they've turned everyone to his own way so what does he do when the sheep like us go astray well the prophet ezekiel and the apostle luke he they taught us what God does when the sheep goes astray. And they taught us that it's it's God himself. It's not an angel. It's not someone he dispatches this job to. But it's God himself. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, as God, went out to find his lost sheep to bring them back. Where? On his shoulders. On his shoulders. Here's how it says in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 12. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. That's him. That's God. That's God going after the sheep on the shoulders, bringing them back. Tom, as you were speaking and quoting John 10, I was stuck thinking about the interaction between the sheep and the shepherd. Yes, that's right. Because in the other verses that we have spoken about, it spoke about how the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, 
But this verse here in John 10, 27, it speaks about what the sheep do. Here it says that my sheep hear my voice. So they hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It is a beautiful picture of the relationship, of the interaction between the sheep and the shepherd. The sheep are lost, but the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. They hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, there he is, there's the good shepherd, there's the shepherd that I am deciding to go and follow. And it says, they know And there is a knowledge that he knows them, they know him, and the the proof of that is that they follow him. And then as they're following him, the picture is that he turns around and as a free gift, he gives to them eternal life. And what happens? They never perish. And furthermore, they're eternally secure because it says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What a wonderful picture of the interaction of the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. It's not just a one-way relationship of the shepherd. It's an interaction where the sheep turn to him and say, we know you, and we love you, and we follow you. You are our shepherd. And he turns to them and said, you are my sheep. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you continue to join us tomorrow as well as every Thursday and Friday this month as we continue our series on The Tabernacle. Visit friendshipwithgod.org if you've missed any messages on The Tabernacle and join us again tomorrow at this same time.